was, it was. Of course, the, the Spirit was with us. We, we carried on, and, but it's good to have people back in um, God's house this morning. So glad to see everyone here singing and praising, and uh, it's, it's good. It's replenishing to the soul for sure. So we are going to um, start in uh, Psalms 3 today. And uh, there's a handful of you that join us on Wednesday night. This will be a little bit of review um, of, of Psalms 3, but we're going to uh, walk through this psalm. Uh, so let's, uh, let's stand together as we read it this morning, as we begin our worship. Everybody there? Brian's got it up. Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being able to gather in your house this morning. Thank you, Lord, for each person that is here for a reason. Thank you for each person that is listening for a reason. That reason is to worship you. That worship is to, the reason is to give thanks to you. That every time we open your word, a miracle happens. And that we get filled up. We get challenged by your perfect standard in your word. So be with us today as we open it up and as we study it. May you be glorified in it. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So, a lot of people are excited, right? Football's back on. <laughs> uh, football's back on. Everybody likes the good story uh, of an underdog fight, right? Everybody likes to get behind the underdog. And I was looking up some, some different things about the underdog, and one of the greatest underdog movies is, uh, is Rocky. Anybody big Rockies fans? All right? Yeah. So, uh, just so you know, I, I only watched the first one or two, but you can get the whole synopsis of the whole series, I think, of five or six movies in five minutes on YouTube. It's a very good action, <laughs> right? But you don't have to sit through all ten hours. But no, the first one, right, you got the story of Rocky, and he fights this, uh, I think his name was Apollo Creed, and right, so ended up taking him down. So you got the story of that underdog. And, uh, and the other, when I look up sports underdogs, I'm happy to say that uh, NC State was number two. So, so I went to NC State, um, but they were number two on the underdog uh, games when they won the championship in 1983. And they beat the Houston, University of Houston, for the championship. So I was like, well, we could be on that. And actually, a funny story this morning. Uh, I was getting my water ready this morning, and um, I twisted the lid so that the NC State was in front. And Lily said, well, that's not a twist lid, Dad. And I said, I know that, honey. I said, I'm trying to decide, do I hold my NC State forward when I talk about when they won the championship, or do I turn my lid all the way around and I hide the NC State because they got crushed last night by Virginia Tech, like 45 to 20. So I was like, well, we'll just, we'll just leave it this way. So, but uh, but you know, everybody likes the, the underdog. 
And, um, you know, in this, in this psalm, David is not the underdog, but he is against some odds here. He is against some odds. And, and in this psalm, it's a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So just to set this up a little bit briefly, right? So David is the king of Israel, is king of the territory, right? But his son Absalom is attempting a coup. He's attempting to take over, right, the kingdom from his father David. And um, so David is fleeing here. And so in verse 3, it says, Psalm 3, verse 1, says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Anybody have any foes? Anybody got any foes? Everybody gets along with everybody? Yeah, amen. Perfect world. Everybody gets along with everybody, right? So, but we all have foes, right? We'll start the young, you'll start youngest and work to a little bit older, right? You might have a, might have had a sibling when you grow up. Might have siblings in your, in your house now. I'm going to look over at my family that one sibling might want to see the other sibling get in trouble for some reason or the other, right? We have foes there sometimes in our own household. You get to school, you might have that bully. You might have that kid that wants to take your lunch money. It would be a foe that you faced in the past. Might still be facing him today, right? You have, um, you know, the sibling, the co-worker, right? The co-worker, you know, you kind of want to keep people in your place of work. You know, we work together as a team, but some people like to push and shove and climb that ladder, corporate ladder, a little bit harder, and they'll use different means or tactics, right? In the workplace, that could be a foe. I heard of one foe this week from a friend of mine that, you know, you could be facing a foe spiritually. You might be learning and growing and talking about the book and how you want to study it and become a better Christian and somebody that you admire and somebody that you trust in your life tells you that this book is full of lies. That's a big foe. It's a spiritual foe. So those are all just several examples, right, of different foes that we come across. And as soon as I shared those, you probably thought of one that you're probably in the middle of right now as a foe. But we all have foes in our lives. The next line in Psalms 3, it says, Many are rising against me. So not just one. You probably thought of one person that you're kind of maybe in a conflict with. But David here says there are many rising against me. Many. And a, and a kind of a, you know, this is a serious threat in the war here, but, you know, we always tend to relate it back to stuff that we see or what we do. And, and uh, Greg and Jeannie, they're big movie buffs. We, we watched, uh, it's called What If? What If? It came out about 10 or 11 years ago. Uh, we watched it uh, last weekend. And it's essentially where this uh, gentleman, Ben Walker, he goes through, he, he decides to leave his girlfriend uh, before they start their life, go to the big city, starts it. He's a big, successful businessman. And then, boom, 15 years later, God gives him a chance to see what his life would have been like. What if he would have done that? And when he went back to what his life would have been, actually, as a, as a pastor, uh, remember one of the things that he did was he, uh, there was this girl, that he had a daughter, I think it was about 14 or 15, and he was in his new life, what it would have been like, and his wife said, oh go, oh, go take care of that. And so she's talking to maybe the, the, the most popular boy in school. And so what does Mr. Walker do? He pulls out his wallet. He goes over there. The successful businessman in his past life walks over and he pays this boy $80 never to talk to his girl again, his daughter again. And then she comes back and says, Dad, baby, paid the whole school. School's talking about me, right? So everybody was against her. Right at that school, yeah. So just another fun example about we all have people at different times in our lives that are against us, and like you know, Hope's talking about we we 
you know, we've all just treated everybody perfect, right? We, we've never offended anybody or said anything. And we know that's just not the truth here. And in this psalm, David has everyone against him. It's much more serious than your dad paying this boy not to talk to your girl, right? It's much more serious than that. But in her mind, in her world, in her universe, everything was against her, right, at that time. And we can all relate to that. So let's turn to 2 Samuel 15. 2 Samuel 15. So in 2 Samuel 15, this is talking about the Absalom conspiracy a little bit and how David flees from Jerusalem. But what had happened is essentially that the heart of men, Absalom had won the heart of men. And we see that in Psalms 15 verse 6. Psalms 15 verse 6, it reads, Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Right, so David is decreasing in favor. Absalom is increasing in favor. And then in 2 Samuel 15, verse 13, it says, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of men of Israel have gone after Absalom. So again, David is decreasing in the hearts of men, in the favor of men, and Absalom is increasing. So everyone is set against him. So back to Psalm 3, just leave it there because we're going to stay in Psalm 3 and flip back and forth, okay? But in Psalm 3, verse 2, it says, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There's no salvation for him in God. This is a huge statement, a huge statement, right? We try to help each other out. We can do that. But like, like Huff said, he, he tried not to steal my message, but he did pretty good in like 60 seconds, right? Um, right? But we said, like, we fail each other. Right? We fail each other. We have people. We have friends. Some will help us. Some won't. Right? But um, actually, Brother Dante back there, he said you know, he had an acquaintance right, that, that didn't help him out. He failed him. You know, just this morning, he shared that example. We have people that fail us. Right? That this statement is so bad, there's no salvation for him and God, that there's, God won't even help him. That God will not even help him. That's how powerful this statement is. The hearts of men had turned toward Absalom. They'd actually turned so quickly from him, right? They turned so quickly from him that not even God could help him. And kind of think about this big picture. You, you may or may not be familiar with the story of David, but we were just in 2 Samuel 15. But if you flip right back over to 2 Samuel 11, that's the turning point in the life of David. And this is where David and Bathsheba, the story of them, come into play and that is a turning point of David so imagine a lot of people saying there's no hope for David God's not even going to help him he's getting what he deserved right that's what a lot of people were saying he messed up he sinned that's it it's such a strong statement it's like telling the homeless man he'll always be in the street or telling the druggie that he'll die that way or telling the depressed person that he'll always be alone now, those statements hit home for several of us they're big, powerful statements that affect us. And kind of back to the title a little bit. The title of today's message being Danger, Deliverance, and Defeat. Psalms 1 through 3 is the danger that we all face in our lives from the foes that are around us, 
whether physical or spiritual, there is danger that we face. And that's summarized in the first two verses that we had, just read. Excuse me, But verses 3 through 6 talk about the deliverance that God provides. So let's look now at verse 3. But you, and i got to stop it, but, because I try to just explain to everyone how small, how important those words are. You see that transition of the foes and the danger that we face, but, but, there's a deliverance that comes. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So three really cool things here that we can all relate to. And we can all see as we think about them. The first one is a shield. A shield. A protector. And it's a common thing in the scriptures. So in Psalms 3, if you look at it, it talks about the shield. And even Debbie sends me verses. And like three or four of them in the past week have talked about a shield. No coincidence. None whatsoever. But look at Psalms 7.10. Look at Psalms 7.10. It says, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. And then Psalms 18.2. It's all throughout Psalms. It's all throughout Scripture. Psalms 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. And just on the next page, verse 18, chapter 18, verse 30. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. And it continues on, verse 28, 7, Psalms 144. It just continues without Scripture. So I was talking uh, to this about with my girl Lily. And um, Brian, were you able to get that picture? Not the video, but the picture. There's a picture in there. All right. Yeah, the Fortnite picture. All right, it got up there pretty good. So, so a couple weeks ago, I came out as a Fortnite gamer. And just so you know, a sweaty kid's a good kid. Just so you know. But I don't know how, but a sweaty kid is a good kid. So Huff had a good chuckle with that one Wednesday night. But if you're a really good gamer, you're a sweaty kid. Right? But this is the reason I like this game. So this is actually Lily. She, she's fishing in this game. See, there's a river and fishing in this game. I might get Jeff playing Fortnite. Who knows? All right? Right, but then um, she caught a, a big pot. See, the, see, that's Joah there on the end of the dock, and he's drinking a big pot. This is a shield, and so you build up in the bottom left corner. You can see you got your health in the green line, and then in the blue line you got your shield. So essentially, if, if people attack you, you can take damage up to two hundred points before you're eliminated from the game. But he's drinking his shield. So Lily said, "God is her big pot. God is her shield, and that big pot that Joah is drinking there." gives us shield in the game. Just like God, Lily connected in her brain that God is our protector. He is our shield. And she related it back to this game. And it's her big pot. So God's her big pot, right? Her shield. So I thought that was very cute. So thank you. So I think I successfully worked Fortnite into a sermon. And I can tell by looks on your faces who plays Fortnite. So we'll talk after church. (laughs) All right. So... The counseling session tonight after that, yes. So, um, very good. So, shield, right? David knew that God was a shield. And the next one is glory. 
He's talking about how David knew that God was the glory and everything that we should do, we try to give glory to ourselves. But what do we need to do? We need to give God the glory in everything that we do because He is the bright spot in our lives. He is the one that never lets us down. And the third one is that you, O Lord, are the lifter of my head. And again, just three three descriptions of what God is to David that are so applicable and we can see them so easy in our lives, right? Whoever has had a child that's been disappointed or a child that did something wrong, do they walk up to you and you say, yep, I did something wrong? Some do, <laughs> right? Sorry, I had to put that disclaimer in there, right? But when a child does something wrong, when you do something wrong, what do you do? Where's your head go? Where's your head go? Your head goes down. Your head drops, right? Your head drops. David's head, due to that danger that he was facing, the foes that he was facing, his head was where? It dropped. It dropped. You might be facing your foe right now and your head might be down. But the promise in the scripture is that God will lift your head. Let's go to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, verse 13. I gotta get my lid twisted just the right way since I made a statement about it. All right, Genesis chapter 40. Now this is talking about the story of Joseph and the, the Pharaoh and the uh, cupbearer and the baker. And um, in this passage here, all three of them have been Joseph, the uh, cupbearer, and the baker are all in jail. Right? They're all in jail. And then the baker has a dream. And so Joseph has helped interpreting the dream. And here's what he says in verse four, chapter 40, verse 13. It says, In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall, you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cup bearer. Let's skip down to verse 20. And it says, On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and placed the cup in the Pharaoh's hand. We'll stop there because the baker's story didn't end as well as the chief cupbearer. But God restores us. He restores us no matter what foe we have been against. And He will lift our head. And there's nothing more disappointing as a father when your child comes to you and his head is down. But there's nothing more warming for me as a father as the embrace, the encouragement, and their head held high when they leave. And that's a promise that God gives us in this scripture. That's why I enjoy this passage as a lifter of my head. Hopefully you can see that. Now, David did not ask for these things. These three things. Look at this verse again. He did not ask for them. See that? He says, but you, O Lord, please be a shield. He doesn't say that. He says, but you, O Lord, what? Are a shield. You are my glory and you are the lifter of my head. There's confidence in his statement. 
confidence that we have as believers in Christ. We should have that confidence, and David shows it here in this passage. Psalms 3, verse 4 says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. Okay? Cried aloud to the Lord. Cried aloud. There's a lady at church in North Carolina. Her name was Tammy. Anytime you'd ask her to pray, she would pray in a song. She would pray in a song. And it was beautiful. A lot of times we try to internalize and we just say our prayers. We, wanna, we want to just, you know, be real quiet and just, you know, want to be real nice about it. And, you know, God, I love you and thank you and for everything. I really need your help here, you know, and your will be done. And, and that's, that's it. Do you think David prayed that way here? No. He cried aloud to the Lord. Heard in a message from John Piper, and I thought this was really good. Christianity is not mechanical. Think about that. Christianity is not mechanical. It is not a checklist of chores. It is not reading and doing this and that because you have to. We leave, we fail to look at the emotional side of Christianity. I want to share this quote with you. It says, The Christian church today sometimes tends to minimize the emotional dimension of the Christian spiritual life. We believe this stunts the believer's growth as badly as minimizing the intellectual dimension. The poetry of the Old Testament, which is what we're reading, Psalms is poetry, along with other books, the poetry of the Old Testament actually focuses on our emotional response to God as well as our emotional response to those who are hostile to God and His people. The poetry of the Old Testament connects with us deep down, both in joy and in despair. It resounds in our hearts and stirs up spiritually and emotionally. We should not minimize it. Instead, we should drink deeply of it. And think about it. Who likes... The book of Psalms. We, we, we do. We like it. Huff preached from Psalms 23 last week. That's why I landed in Psalms this week. I was like, wow, I haven't read that lately. And bam, Psalms 3. But Psalms and poetry in general, let's just take a quick look. Think about how we relate to it. Anybody ever been lonely? Raise your hand. Been lonely? Yeah. Psalms 25, 16 says, I am lonely and afflicted. We can relate to it. Anybody ever been in love? If you're sitting next to your spouse, I don't know what you want to say, but amen. <laughs> right? But Psalms 18.1, I love you, Lord, my strength. Ah, oh, sorrow, sorrow. Psalms 31.10, my life is spent with sorrow. Regret, I'm sorry for my sin in Psalms 38.18. And the list just goes on and on. That's why we can relate to psalms. We can relate to poetry because it's an emotion with us. And it's emotion that God created and that we should embrace these things 
And we should cry out loud to God. And this is, this is kind of my area of challenge because I'm one of those quiet people. Right? I'm one of those quiet people and I have my prayers at a certain time. And, you know, it's just, but this is, this is where my challenge has been this week. This is where my area of growth has been out this week is that I need to cry out loud a little bit more in the good times and the stressful time and the bad times. You know, I had, I'll admit it, I had a, I had a Team Jesus shirt for, you know, a year or two, right? And I didn't wear it. No, I didn't wear it. I was like, I'll admit it. Maybe I don't want to stand in the pulpit while I admit it, but I'll admit it. Is it? I don't want to cause a rift with anybody. I've wore that shirt more in the last two weeks than I have in the last year I've owned it. And I've had more positive conversations with other believers in the last two weeks because I wore that shirt. Joel was with me when we went to golf. Two people said, hey, I'm on that team, brother. So for the last year I had that shirt. I lost how much encouragement. I don't know. I don't know. But cry out loud. Talk to people. Don't be shameful. That's my growth. Now I can step back in the pulpit. All right. All right. But no, we, we all grow. Right? We all have to continue to grow. And the Psalms is just a great place because we can relate to it. Um, and, and God shows us that this is how He created us. But we should cry out to Him. Because when we cry out, who answers? God answers. I stole this too. might not be the way you want to answer. But God always answers. Garth Brooks song. God's greatest gift, unanswered prayers. Sometimes it's not the answer that we want, but God will answer, and God will answer in His time in the way that He wants to answer it. And that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. But that's where faith and that's where trust comes in that God has challenged us to do. Verse 5. Psalms 3, verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. For the Lord sustained me. So if anybody's worried about something, do you sleep well? I don't sleep well when something bothers me. I also don't sleep well when I have crickets in my house. Does anybody have a problem with that this time of year? Okay, I'm not alone. Thank you. I tell you, I woke up uh, yesterday morning. It was an answered prayer. I'm like... I woke up early, wasn't nobody awake, this cricket's chirping, and I made it through the night, but this cricket stole my sleep, and I'm like, I'm taking care of this cricket. He's behind the dryer, I know he's in the dryer, I got him pinpointed, I took the dryer, I slid it out, I took off the vent hose, because I'm like, I know he's in here, I know he's in here. And I expected this cricket to just be this big round, because as loud as he was, and jump out at me, he wasn't in there. I'm like, ah. There's a little hole in the concrete pad, I sit on, and he stuck his little antenna out at me. I can't do a cricket noise, sorry. Right? I'm like, there he is. I got this cricket. I went, and I grabbed a little, um, yeah, I went and grabbed something. Sorry. I should have grabbed Daniel. He's my cricket catcher. And uh, I went and grabbed this, like a little putty knife or something. And uh, I was like, I'm going to get this cricket. And bang, he disappeared in the hole. And I stuck this putty knife. It like, went in the hole like eight inches. I'm like, well, no wonder. Probably got him and his buddy in there. So, but Renee sprayed some bug cleaner or bug, bug killer in there. We're going to spray foam that bad boy up. 
But he wasn't in there last night, so he's gone now. But I'm glad everybody else, cricket problem, I'm not the only one. Daniel can come catch him for you. <laughs> All right. But when we have a problem that annoys us inside and we can't sleep, and just like that cricket was an external annoyance, we have people inside that just continue to chirp at us and we can't let it go. And that's one blessing in this small verse because think about how David is getting attacked here from all around, but what? He slept. He knew that God was his what? What were those three things? His shield, his glory, and the lifter of his head. He knew that. And that allowed him to sleep in peace even when everybody, or not everybody, but the majority of the kingdom wanted him gone. And that's the second blessing of this small verse is that he woke up again. Think about how many people that wanted him dead. But God protected him. And allowed him to wake each morning as the Lord sustained him. Verse 6. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. We get afraid of or what one person says to us bothers us. What if many ten thousands of people were against us? How would that make us feel? That kind of adds the magnitude of what's going on here. But then again, that points us right back to the confidence that David had, right? So confidence. We started with football, right? Is your confidence a good touchdown, right? Right? Is it a touchdown pass? Do you get your confidence? Like the uh, quarterback last night? Yeah, I forgot. Oh, Grace, who was it? LSU got beat last night. I can't remember. Who they play? Any sports nuts? Who was it? No, I don't remember. No, it wasn't Michigan State. But the quarterback against LSU threw six touchdown passes last night. How big do you think his chest was last night? <laughs> yep. yep. He was pretty big last night. God's confidence, right, from that game. But you know there's a defensive lineman out there that wants him, right? He wants him, right? But do we get our confidence in those situations? Do we get our confidence from a good day at work? Do we get our confidence from a good game? Do we get our confidence from a coworker, Or do we get a confidence? Do we get our confidence from our Creator, right? Our Father. Is that where our confidence comes from? Or something that's just merely created? I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. That confidence is just like Romans 8.31. Written a thousand years apart. But what does Romans 8.31 say? If God is for us, then who can be against us? That's that confidence that we should have in Christ. We spoke about confident humility many months back. It's that we're humble because we know that we are not perfect creatures. But we can be confident that our Father was perfect in every way. We can be confident that He will deliver us from whatever situation we are going through. If we face a danger, He will deliver us, and He will defeat our enemies. Verse 7, it says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. Save me. There's a couple of different ways and interpretations of this is save me. And one of them that I actually read was talking about David just wanted room to breathe. 
He needed time. He needed space. He needed an opportunity to breathe. There's a young man that passed away in my life unexpectedly many years back. And his mom said that this song, which Brian's getting ready to play here in just a second, was how she felt. She just needed time to breathe. And it's just what was shared earlier today. We get crazy in our life trying to do this and that. Well, we just need time to breathe. Brother Brian? And God gave it to him. Just like God gives it into our lives. Just fill your lungs. That's like, that's like, just like the big breath. It's like, just take a breath. Right? Take a breath. It smells sweet right here. Take a breath. Because I want to say, for you, God, strike all of my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Who does the striking here? God does the striking. Too many times we want to raise our fists or we want to open our mouths and we want to share those hurtful words. We want to swing our fist, but that's not what God tells us to do. And that's one thing that I definitely pull from this passage this week is that God's justice is His justice. He defines it. Just like Huff said, He defines what's good. He defines what justice is. And one of the big uh, kind of not revelations, but moments of, you know, um, Enlightenment in my mind was this week that God may send someone that you think is an enemy, but it might not be an enemy. <laughs> I was like, ooh. Because when I read this right here, it says, For you strike all my enemies. Is my enemy God's enemy? Maybe, maybe not. Kind of depends on how you're living your life, what you're doing, who who you're around, who's encouraging you. But God may send someone in your life that you may think is an enemy and may not be. Now, He also gives us discretion about who we should be around, who we should listen to, how we should build uh, our brothers and sisters up. But we really have to make sure that if we're aligned with God, that who we're fighting against, we still love and extend grace to. It's like Brother Chris was talking about. It's the time of this season where we should be extremely graceful as tensions and relationships are high. It says, you break the teeth of the wicked. And I only share this story because we had a tooth story this week. Joah had a tooth, a permanent tooth coming in, like in the roof of his mouth. And I'm like, that doesn't look too good. And Renee got him in there. And uh, he had to numb it, right? And they took this tooth out. And this joker was as big as a piece of candy corn. The root was like this tall. And I was like, wow. We wanted to try to get a piece of candy corn, see if we could put it back in there. But that's the shape that it was in. But just, now, he had the fortune of numbing gel and a shock. Somebody broke your tooth off in your mouth. Some of you may have went through that. I can only imagine how bad that would hurt. Fortunately, I've got popped in the mouth a time or two in sports and stuff, but I've never had one break a tooth in my mouth. But that's kind of what, it's an illustration that I can just visually see with what Joel went through this week, but you break the teeth of the wicked and the pain that they, to me, it doesn't reflect more so of what David won on other people, but it reflects the pain of what David was going through against with those foes that were against him. Right? 
For you strike my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. God will defeat our foes. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. We talked about how you can't earn salvation, but brothers and sisters, I am so thankful that he gives it freely if we accept it. heard a quote, and I shared this Wednesday night, but it says, we have as much to do with our salvation as did Lazarus when he arose from the dead. Think about that. Turn to John chapter 11, verse 38 with me. John chapter 11, verse 38. Now, as I read this passage, I want you to specifically look at it in light of the role of Lazarus. What did Lazarus do in this passage? John 11, verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now he here is Lazarus. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps, and his face wrapped him with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What did Lazarus do? He just walked out. He had nothing to do with it. He just walked out. He didn't even unbind himself. He just walked out. It comes from Christ. Flip back, John 6, 44. Flip back to John 6, 44. John 6, 44, the words of Christ. It says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Christ alone will raise him up. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Selah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. David had every right, by man's standards, to curse his foes. Don't we want to curse our foes? Sure, our mom and dads, they tell us we should love our enemies. But that's hard. It's really hard. David here, all his foes against him, had every right to curse them. But what did he do to the people of Israel? He blessed them. He said a prayer of blessing on the people. Luke 23, 34. Luke 23, 34. Jesus Christ had every right to curse those who were mocking him, beat him on the cross. But what did Christ do and say? 
Luke 23, 34 says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He forgave them. He had every right by man's standards to curse them, but he blessed them. So you can see Christ kind of coming into this psalm, but you can see Christ all over Psalm 3. You can see him throughout the entire scripture, but specifically in Psalms 3, you can see that he is the ultimate one of whom people said there is no help for him. Now back up in verse 2, follow along with me, make us connect a few dots. Back up in Psalm 3, verse 2, it says, uh, many are saying to my soul, there's no salvation for him. Just like cross, Christ was on that cross, like I just mentioned. What'd they say? What'd they mock him? They said, ah, if you're God, let your God save you. They had no confidence in saying that. They were mocking Christ on the cross. You see Christ in verse 2. Jesus is the one who God heard and gloriously vindicated by lifting of his head. In verse 3, we talked about lifting of his head. But what happened to Christ? He was not only, his head was not only lifted, but what else was lifted? His entire body. He was gloriously vindicated when he, was, he rose from the grave. A third way you see Christ in this psalm is the one who ventured forward without fear, not afraid of 10,000. Christ went to whatever city he needed to go to. He knew what time he needed to go. He knew when he needed to go. And he wasn't afraid to go. Why was he not afraid to go? How often does the scripture say how much he prayed to God his Father? He prayed. He stayed connected to that power. He got the confidence from his Father. Just like we should do the same. That's the third way. And the fourth way we see Christ in this psalm is Christ is the one to whom salvation belongs. In verse 8, we mentioned that. Salvation belongs to the Lord. When you look up the name of Christ, it simply means God is salvation. God is salvation. When it says in the scripture, salvation belongs to the Lord, it's essentially saying Jesus. Jesus, right? It's essentially saying that. So Jesus is all over this psalm, just like he should be all over our lives. He is present in danger, delivers us, and he defeats our enemies for us so that we have the ultimate victory. We have the ultimate victory, which is eternity with him. Let's stand. Let's stand.